Hey, y'all. We have a new giveaway this week. Thanks to our partner, Beta, we're giving away the Skylight Touchscreen Photo Frame. With the Skylight, you can email photos directly to the picture frame from anywhere at any time, and the photos show up instantly. Think of it as like the modern digital photo frame. You can upload, email, share it with friends, and they can also upload directly. And then you guys can watch the sweet, sweet memories roll in together. The Skylight retails for $159, and you can actually go and try them out at any beta store around the country or learn more at skylightframe.com. Skylight is so easy to use and has 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Use discount code MISSION for $10 off at beta.com, B-8-T-A dot C-O-M, or sign up for our giveaway at mission.org slash giveaway. Welcome to Mission Daily. On today's episode, Stephanie sits down with Chris Farinacci, head of business at Asana, where Chris is in charge of the business's go-to-market efforts, including sales, marketing, business development, and customer operations. Prior to Asana, Chris served as the CMO for Google for Work and Education and was the VP of Application Marketing at Oracle and SVP of Global Marketing at Agile Software. On this episode, Stephanie and Chris discuss how Asana is scaling globally, the internal decision-making processes and culture that drive that growth, and how collaboration is growing faster than ever. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. Chris, how's it going? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. You're getting the full experience by coming in studio, the no air conditioning, toasty our dog, attacking you with love, and the baby greeting you at the door. Feels exactly like where I just left at home. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Yeah, we want to make sure it feels very homey. (laughs) So at Asana, how long have you been at Asana? Uh, I'm coming up on my four-year anniversary next month. Okay, cool. And if someone asked you what you do as COO, what do you say? I'm responsible for the the business and the go-to-market functions, so stuff like sales and marketing and customer success and support. But the way I think about it more is I'm responsible for kind of um, three things, revenue, customer, and market, which to me is like marketing and our story in the market. Then what does the day-to-day look like? That's higher level. Like, what did you do this week or yesterday? Um, So let's see. I've been been here four years, and... um, the database changed over those four years. Like my first year, it was like worried about tomorrow and next week. And then yeah. the next year, it was worried about next month. And then now I'm at the point where I'm more focused out a quarter or two. So we've really got, you know, the business humming and more predictable and stuff like that. And I'm more focused on recruiting and um, making sure there's clarity of in the team of who's doing what and what our goals are and then looking out ahead. Very cool. And when you started, you had 10,000 paying customers, right? Yeah, sounds right. Are you able to tell us how many you have now? Sure. We have um, 70,000 paying customers now. And actually another um, 3 million free companies that have signed up or activated since since inception. So it's it's on top of a really big free base. That's awesome. And you guys are moving worldwide now, right? You're, are you still focused on Germany and Europe and places like that? Or how yeah, is that we're, expanding? We're global. So um, I don't know, I guess a couple years ago is when we started to, to really strategically focus on internationalization and going global. Uh, and I guess it was just under two years ago. And at that point in time, I think like 40% of revenue and 45% of our base was from outside the US. And we those purely organic, which is amazing, actually. So we got strategic about different markets and invested in, you know, everything from product localization to go to market localization and website and product and all that stuff. Last year, really build our presence in Europe. And this year, we're really building our presence in um, Asia. 
Very cool. How do you think about focusing on different markets like that? Because it seems like everyone has such different working styles and how do you, you know, make a product? Is it different or does everyone get the same product? It's, it's the same product, but it's localized and really globalized and localized means a lot more than just translation to the local language. I mean, that's important and that needs to be the full product experience, right? So it's not just the product, it's the website and help and the language in which you talk to people and that whole currency, units of measure, all that stuff. Uh, It means all those things. So when thinking about expanding, what do you think's next with Asana? Like more countries or? This is the kind of exciting part of of my job, but it's also kind of like, I always get asked, like, what do you worry about? And, or, you know, what keeps you up at night? And it's kind of the prioritization because there's so many opportunities for us. And like, there's like 10 vectors of, market opportunity for us and the sequencing of how we invest in those when, and you can't do it all at the same time. And, you know, um, sort of the mapping of like our core competencies and momentum to the, to product market fit and the market opportunity sort of ways and all that. So, you know, one of those things is globalization in there or or localization going to different markets in there. Um, We're trying to learn from the past. Like I've seen a lot of other companies go too fast. I've been in that, you know, go, go from one to 20, 50 countries overnight usually they end up retreating. More recently, we started to um, have field offices in Europe. So like Mm -hmm. in London, Munich, Um, we opened an office in Australia um, at the end of last year. We're we're in the process of opening an office in Japan right now. That's the globalization part. And there's these, there's so many vectors of growth. So there's like pricing and packaging, adoption, large enterprise, segmentation, partnerships and ecosystem platform. You know, there's just a list of, of things that all provide huge opportunities for us. And the the prioritization and sequence of those things is a lot of what we sweat. Got it. And do you have a company-wide way to prioritize things yeah. or is there a crisp way to prioritize no, things? No, the way, well, the way we do this, and this is kind of, this will get into a little bit about what we do is um, we do this thing we call the pyramid of clarity, but it's really, um, and we share it with you, but it's really the way we run the company, but it's also basically what we're building out in the product experience. So it's, it's what our customers buy. You know, what our, what our customers use Asana for is clarity, yep. clarity, like real time clarity and accountability, you know, for teams, um, for all our customers, all 70,000. And then over time for whole divisions or whole companies that gives time back to companies to spend more time on the work that matters, the work that rolls up to your purpose and your goals. And eliminates a lot of the time on what we call work about work. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the time that the visceral, painful time everybody spends yep. trying to figure out who's doing what, coordinate, get on the same page, make sure things don't fall through the cracks. We streamline and automate a lot of that so that you can basically have more time back for what matters. Yep. Yeah, yeah. we uh, know that personally. So yeah. we, we are Asana users and Yay. we, before that, were using a bunch of Google Sheets yeah. to try and, ta- you know, track the podcast episodes and who's doing what and where are the links and everything. And it was complete chaos. And like you said, our team was focused on where the work was instead of actually getting the work done. Yeah. And it was just a mess. Well, so. I appreciate that. Thank you yep. for being a customer. Yeah, it's great. So how do you think about when it comes to prioritizing, is there any advice that you give to the companies who start out on Asana of like how to, how to best use the product or how to really get started quickly to help their organization the fastest? Yeah, so this could be at a team level. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at the company level and sort of how we use it and, and how companies that do use it or orgs that do use it company-wide do it, but then we can back up and do yeah. But what if it's just my team, which is where everyone starts. This yeah. is a really organic thing. So it starts with with the goals, you know, and OKRs have become a craze. I mean, yes. we both worked at Google, so we know that. The sort of reality of the world with this move to OKRs and stuff is that it's good because it provides top-level goals, 
But the reality is nobody knows in real time how the work's going. You might know like your revenue number or some number, but the actual work, is it on track? Is it red, yellow, green? How are we tracking against those goals? The reality is even the best companies, the way they actually figure that out is they don't know during the quarter. They know after when they get together and grade it and try to figure it out, right? So that's the first thing is to have clear objectives and goals that the work actually ladders up to. So you ha- you can understand the impact of changes. You can understand what's on track and off track and when things are off track, how to get them back on track. Um, and that's how we run the company. So we have, um, you know, we have a set of 10 objectives for the company. Everybody knows what they are. That's not particularly unique in Silicon Valley. Um, but then the go-to-market plan and the product roadmap and all the work underneath those things, as well as, you know, like finance and people ops and recruiting and engaging our employees and in our investments, they're all connected, yeah. you know, through projects and portfolios to that so that we we have that ultimate pyramid of clarity. So touching on Google, now mm-hmm. that you mentioned it, sure. what was it like transitioning? So I think you were CMO at Google for the Google for Work and Google for Education, right? Yeah, for the what's now the Google Cloud business. So the, the enterprise business and the, and the education business. Okay. Yeah. How did your role look like there versus transitioning to Asana? I mean, I, I imagine it's very yeah. different. I mean, you know, me personally coming from Google, coming yeah. to Mission with a team of 12 and all of a sudden you have to do everything. Yeah. Uh, how is that for you? There's sort of a company difference and there's sort of a role difference, right? So my first 10 years, I've always been in tech. That's all I've ever done and always sort of been in, largely in B2B or or business tech. And the first 10, 12 years, I kind of intentionally did every role, you yep. know, so I was a marketer, a biz dev, uh, let's see, a product manager, a pre-sales guy, a partner guy. And then in the middle of my career, I, I became a CMO first at a, a public company that we ended up selling to Oracle called Agile. And I ended up being a CMO for 10 years and it was never my goal or my plan. It just sort of happened that way. Asana is the first job for me sort of post CMO to something bigger. We can we can talk about that if it's interesting. But yeah. um, to answer your question directly, first of all, there's the like the company difference. And Google is an amazing company. Like yeah. for me, I was there from 2011, 2015. I just thought Google was an absolutely amazing company. And there's a lot of things that are similar. And the similar things are like, you're just working with amazing, interesting, smart, high EQ, IQ people, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the characteristics that both companies hire for are similar, like just, you know, curiosity and being bold and taking risks and, you know, just those kinds of things. Yep. There's also some differences. One big one is, I assume it's the same, I don't know, but when I was at Google, a big hiring characteristic of, of Google was was comfort with ambiguity. It yep. was like, you know, I think that's kind of uniquely Google, but it was like comfort with chaos, basically. Asana, on the other hand, is a company that basically sells clarity. And clarity needs to be dynamic. The world's moving really fast, but clarity of who's doing what, when, in a dynamic way at any given point in time. That's very different. That's that's very different from Google. So, um, you know, that's been refreshing for me because I think that that eliminates work about work and status meetings and everything that goes yeah. with it. But that's been a difference. Another big difference is decision making. Um, we do something at Asana that's I think fairly unique that I love and it's it's we call it areas of responsibility but for sort of every every area of the company we name one individual you know and we make and we we try to push that down in the org and put it you know make that area of responsibility closest to the the person with the most knowledge mm-hmm. and that person makes the decision on anything That's right great. which is very different <laughs> yes. from a lot of places yep. where decisions by consensus and there's not even a race or a map and any exec can jump in at any point in time and override it you know we're yep. really trying to streamlined decision-making and making it really clear from the onset, which is wonderful. And it's not like it's perfect. We, we are always, it's constantly an evolution to sort of refine it, but the notion of it and the spirit of it, I absolutely love. That's awesome. Yeah. I like the idea of letting the subject matter expert 
choose the decision. And then if someone needs to come in and weigh in, maybe that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, that definitely holds a lot just, of things Just up. by having clarity upfront mm-hmm. on who's the decision maker, you know, yeah. and what roles people play can just help everybody move a lot faster and a lot more efficiently. Yeah, agree. Did you learn a lot about scaling while you were at Google that you were able to transition that knowledge over to Asana or was Asana just such a different world that you really had to learn on the fly? Certainly some of the things I learned from Google directly translated and some things are different. So like my experience in sort of the history of like enterprise technology. And so this is overstated, but my first 18 years in enterprise tech was in the more traditional top down selling, you know, and businesses that sold to decision makers. So line of business, you know, or IT or both. And that was, there were a lot of good that came out of that, right? Like um, processes got automated for the first time and dashboards got populated and processes got in place. There were also some challenges with that and to this day exists in those kinds of companies where sort of sales can get way ahead of the roadmap. And there's, you know, it's not the f- most fun place in the world sometimes to be an engineer because the roadmap commitments are, are years ahead. And, you know, mm-hmm. like basically sort of that go to market side of the business is sort of the top of the culture because it's a very sales centric culture. There was another wave, a second wave in my mind that was this sort of consumerization thing. And I'd put Google and Apple and Dropbox and all these kind of companies in there where for enterprise, the business started by just providing great services for consumers, really having nothing to do with enterprise in the early days and building up this huge base of consumer product, right? And then eventually figuring out how to bring that to business. And a lot of great came out of that because for the first time in a while, um, we cared about the end user at work, right? So it was a great familiar experience from home. Also some downside there in that those companies' priorities are first consumer, second consumer, third consumer, and fourth. How do we bring that to enterprise? And yeah. it's not that cut and dry, but there's some truth to those memes of like how important is the needs, specific needs of businesses and enterprise versus consumer. And the culture in those companies are very different, right? Like it's the opposite. It's sort of those are very edge driven yeah. cultures, right? And maybe uh, not focused on monetization from the start. We're yeah. a smaller company. And, 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 and then scrambling to. to figure it out later, which yeah. can also you know, maybe create some artificial ways of doing that versus yeah. the most natural way to do it. Uh, and then there's this, in my mind anyways, in my experience, there's this there's this new hybrid generation of business model that's being born. And some of it's based on the way companies adopt. So that's also what's driving a lot of this. And I can comment on that in a second. First and foremost, we're building this and have built this organic word of mouth self-serve engine that just helps companies, helps people, helps users adopt on their own and even sort of expand and use the paid products on their own. Mm -hmm. And then we've consciously built a go-to-market team on top of that to help those companies, you know, um, expand quicker and be more successful and ultimately build relationships on top of that where there's already pockets of happy users and happy teams, right? And that sort of new model loves consumer usage, but we're not that's not where we're coming from. So we're not day-to-day just like prioritizing building features for consumers and not business. It's sort of the opposite, you know, where we love and want you to use at home, but most of what we're building is for use at work, you know? And that business model to me is the business model of the future. And also what's interesting about it, if you think about just collaboration and productivity broadly, the, the, the space that we're in, it's a little bit different, this team by team business model in that like the traditional suite providers like Microsoft and Google, they don't really sell their suites to teams, right? It, they're kind of all or nothing. It's not like it's not like teams out there are really buying just Microsoft yeah. Teams for a team of 20 or just Google. I mean, you, you have G- Gmail for your domain or you don't, or yep. you have Outlook or 365 for the company or you don't. The way that companies are adopting these best-in-breed products is a lot of what's driving that, you know, that move to that kind of business model. 
So when you were first joining Asana, your CEO, Dustin, said, we're basically entering the next stage of our growth, and Chris is coming in here to step on the gas. Did that intimidate you? How did you level set expectations? It sounds <laughs> kind of scary, someone being like, Chris is coming to save us. He's going to, like, really scale us. What were your thoughts, um, yeah, with his, like, expectations uh, of you? Well, sure, that sounds scary now that you said it. But, <laughs> um, no, it wasn't to save us. It was, like, the company had built this great product and really viral product that was being used a ton um, for free and just starting to monetize. It was in the early days of monetization. And again, like we're, I should back up, we're a hugely mission-driven company. And the, the mission is to help all teams work together more effortlessly. And that effortlessly word is the key, right? To to help teams spend more time on the work that matters and and understand the work that rolls up to their goals and their their purpose and mission as a company and less time on the you know, the work about work that really is just about reacting to endless pings from everybody. And that's growing daily and is about coordinating and trying to figure out who's doing what and all that stuff. So when I came, the goal was to really scale up the go to market side of of the business. And that doesn't necessarily just mean like revenue. That does mean build the business, but that means, you know, make our ultimately that means make our customers very successful and help them grow and expand their usage to get more value. That's our mission. And sort of revenue is a means to an end to fuel our, you know, our drive towards our mission. And so when I came in, it's just the go to market side of the company was nascent. It was it was a great small team of Mm -hmm. people, you know, Um, and, you know, it was like in marketing, it was really just early focused on like that organic experience and the sales team was fledgling and, you know, support was there. But so it was, you know, really two things. It was just to really just scale up and build a real scalable go to market, you know, team based on that hybrid business model. Um, But it was also very much to work with the rest of the company to help them be aligned to, you know, our goals as a company, as it relates to customer adoption and revenue and those kinds of things. And a lot of that was working with product, you know, and the way the way we build the go-to-market plans and the product roadmap at Asana to me is really pretty cutting edge. And that doesn't mean it's like perfect. It's it's always a work in process, but it's it's built together so that those things very much align, which is like, in my experience, completely unique. I've actually never been able to pull that off in 25 years. And what that meant in the early days was, you know, like, for example, our, our product ship cycles were very they weren't so cyclical. They were like big bangs. So we'd launch a bit, we'd build a big product and deliver it once a year or something like that. And to the end user, you know, the lull in between feels like what's going on, you know, and you know, what what are y'all doing over there? Yeah. So a lot of it was just getting the way we operate aligned so that those innovation um, delivery timelines were more regular to customers Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. So one thing at Mission right now we're focused on is building a culture doc and really trying to instill that among all of our team members. How do you guys think about culture? Is that important from the start? Is that something they can wait? What's your view on that? All right. So let me give you the really fast founder story of Asana, because I think that directly relates to this. So the the founder story is Dustin, who was, you know, a co-founder at Facebook and JR, who is our other co-founder, who is like a smart young product manager at Google and Facebook. I think this was about 10 years ago and Facebook was growing really fast and they had this issue that's basically what turned into our mission that every company faces, even like the greatest tech companies in the world, where in this case, the tech teams were feeling like they were spending more time on work about work, trying to figure out, you know, who's doing what than actually coding and building software, you know, and building the product. So our co-founders, when they were employees at Facebook, they build a product to, to, to solve that and make Facebook more efficient. And it was so successful that they realized um, they knew they wanted to go do something for the next 20, 30 years and build a company to, to contribute back to the world. And they, at the time, thought we're going to have to pick sustainability or education or healthcare or whatever our passion is. And they realized 
if we can give all those industries and, and missions like 5, 10, 15% of their time back, that's by far the most leveraged thing we could do. So they went and founded Asana to do that, to build a commercial tool to give everybody time back, basically, awesome. to what matters. Yeah, it, it resonates with me because yeah. the pain is just so visceral out there right now. So when they did that, they were they did something I find you know really sort of insightful in that it will be really important to get the culture right up front. Yeah. Uh, and a lot's been written about this kind of cool. So they defined the values, but they also like defined some of the operating principles. And as an operator, I like this stuff. So they took like you know, this idea from Google and this idea from McKenzie and this idea for Apple and tweaked it and adopted it to both like the values and mission of the company and the early operating model for the company, like how the company would run and live those yeah. values. And since then, we've always said um, nothing sacred but the mission. You know, that's the only thing that really doesn't change. Everything else has evolved and they're software guys, right? So we talk about culture bugs mm -hmm. and like, hey, we have a culture bug. Let's focus on it. And we refresh our values every couple of years. We recently just did that and that kind of thing. And to me, culture is, it's not just values and that kind of stuff. It's it's literally the interaction of every employee every day. That's mm -hmm. what defines your culture, right? And so the combination of those things are what we're constantly focused on evolving and, you know, we'll never be done. But we kind of think about it like launching and iterating and enhancing a product line. What are the biggest pieces of your culture that you set up from the beginning that come to mind right now that really helps the company and employees and everyone? A couple elements that resonate with me. One is around clarity. In the end, what we provide to our customers is clarity and accountability. So, you know, clarity of who's doing what, when at the individual, at the team, and sometimes at the whole company level. And we live that, you know, so it's important that to, that's a core mission is that we're, we're living and breathing that same way mm -hmm. and what we're trying to provide the customers. A couple others that are interesting to me. One, one is this notion, and I, I hadn't had this before. I really like it. This notion of rejecting false trade-offs mm -hmm. and it's the notion of consider the other perspective and why can't it also be true? You know, and it helps you That's like good. it just helps you find middle ways sometimes. And yeah. it's just a really good mindset that I personally really appreciate. You know, another one is just um, this notion of giving and taking responsibility, which is like take full responsibility for stuff, but also expect others to take, account. you know, mm -hmm. full responsibility for stuff. And the notion of doing that on both sides is really for me, like, yeah, really, really a good way to go. Yeah, that's you know? awesome. Yeah, we've yeah. just started um, putting together a mentality of how anyone who owns a podcast, that's your own business. And you yeah. need to like have this business ownership mentality yeah. and like that's your baby. And if anything goes wrong, that's your on you. So yeah, same thing about taking responsibility. Yeah. So do you have any mentors that come to mind that you've had over, you know, your career where you're like, this person taught me this, this or this? I mean, I know at Google, the one thing that comes to mind for me is that like they give you really harsh feedback, yeah. which when I first got there, I was like, ah, what is this? Like my manager, she asked me to pull together a PL and I didn't know how to pull together their yeah. PL. And then she told me it was crappy. And then like that was like the best learning ever of having someone be like, that's really bad. And here's what you need to do. Let me help you. Do you have any people in mind like that who really helped shape your career? Yeah, but um, for sure, but not in the traditional like professional development plan, strategic kind of way. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and I, that's that's popular these days. And I think that's great to be more intentional about that. Mm -hmm. That's definitely not how I grew up. So how, yeah. how I grew up was by doing you know, completely. And the mentors or the leaders that helped me the most were the ones that just gave me direct, complete visibility. I'm letting, you know, when I had bosses that just let me in on what they were dealing with directly, you know, yeah. that's where I learned the most. And I could name lots of them from kind of every company I've been at, but that, that transparency to is, and I try to do the same. I don't know that I'm the best mentor in terms of like, you know, let's focus on this and let's build a plan together. I 
I want to be, but I, you know, that's not where I come from. It's not so natural yeah. to me. What I tend to do is just give leaders that, that work for me or next to me full transparency and visibility to what I'm dealing with. And yeah. I, to me, that's how I learn. Oh yeah. Same. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, yeah. I probably have a pretty unpopular opinion that I don't think you should find like an official <laughs> mentor because that person shouldn't just spend their time with you, especially when, you know, someone's reaching out to like, you know, a very high up person. Mm-hmm. They're like, I want this CEO to be my mentor. It's like, if that person mentors you, they're doing everyone else a disservice. Like they can be on a podcast, they can write a book, they can do all these things that can help a ton of people, or they can just do one-on-one time with you. So yeah, I like the idea of being transparent with your employees or other people around you and helping everyone grow, but it doesn't always have to be such an official setup, yeah. which maybe everyone. And, like and that, to that, but. the way I've grown is just by like understanding the bigger challenges that are beyond the scope of my role. You know what I mean? And just jumping into them. Yeah. That's literally kind of how I've learned. Yeah. yeah. And that's where you have the most yeah. impact too, probably. So that helps a lot more people. So to move into more personal, I heard you just took your first sabbatical in how many years? Ever. So Ever. Um, yeah, your whole I realized, life. which is probably isn't the best uh, example to set, but you know, like, like probably a lot of folks in Silicon Valley, I just yeah. ended up going, I tended to just like, I would find the next thing and it's like, you know, sorry, but you got to start in three weeks kind yeah. of thing or two weeks. So I just never, I realized I had never taken, I had taken more than two weeks, like three or four times since 1992. Oh and it was, you know, and that includes like paternity. So like, I just never really yeah. unplugged completely properly. And recently I took a month mm-hmm. sabbatical, which is, you know, like I'd never done anything like that before. Um, some of the reason I, I could do that is because the company just has really great leaders in really great shape. But yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, just to unplug completely for a month was like, you know, just amazing for me and my family. That's And you took your kids with you, right? Yeah, we spent most of it traveling, you yeah. know, and just not sort of tourist traveling, but just like, you know, running an Airbnb for a week in different places in mm-hmm. Europe and stuff like that and just hanging out locally with the kids. And it was amazing. Yeah. Did you see any difference in yourself afterwards or have any like aha moments of like, I should have done this? I will say no email, no Asana, no Slack. And, you know, basically that if there's an emergency, text me and I maybe got two or three in four yeah. weeks. So like, you know, that's, that's another thing that all leaders, you know, feel like the world will fall apart yeah. if they leave. And if, if you've built the right team, no, they won't. No, it won't. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's something that yeah. Chad and I are just experiencing. And we're so used to us doing everything to where we just took a week vacation. It's so nice now having a team who can yeah. cover down and being like, we trust everyone. This yeah. is great. This is how it feels yeah. to, yeah. you know, have things going well. So yeah, that's awesome. So do you have any um, books that you recommend that you love or have read where you're like, this was really uh, impactful? I'm a, on the book side, I'm all over the map. And I, I've grown up like my grandmother had me reading at five before I go to sleep because that's what she did and what my mom did. So like I always read to fall asleep mm-hmm. my whole life. By the way, I capitulated from paper maybe four years ago to digital. Are you? I'm still paper. You're still good for you. Yeah. Like I, I fought it forever and I just, I flipped when I was carrying three hardbacks to Asia or Europe with me on yeah. trips and breaking my back. But like, are I, you all I, in I, now on digital? I'm all in now. Yeah. Okay. And it's, uh, so I still have this big library and I'm not sure what to do with all these books. I'll give them to my kids, but, um, but yeah, I did, I, mean, I did flip. Us too. Chad has yeah. a problem. He yeah. orders so many <laughs> books. Yeah. But, and I'm all over the map. Like I read plenty of fiction, like mystery and thrillers, plenty of nonfiction biographies. I love the classics. I'm just all over the map. And again, they're like the most recent stuff is my son just started high school and just got his reading list and it's like nine and they're nine books and they're all kind of classics, like not just classics, some's like Philip Dick and stuff like that. Uh, And half of more books I hadn't read. So like there's a list of three or four there I'm diving into right now. Nice. Any uh, business related ones or have you read um, the high growth handbook? I have not. I feel like that one's a good one. I I started reading that that right when I came on here and they do interviews with 
I mean, really well-known people who talk about scaling a business and yeah, I thought it was really good. And it's kind of funny in the book, they have a section on, do you need a COO? And I like mm -hmm. went there. I'm like, do you? Okay. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> you funny. always need a COO. So how has um, having kids changed your perspective on things or your career? What did that look oh, like? For me, it's it's changed my perspective on it. It, it. it just gives you perspective, like whatever, you know, you're dealing with at work. And it, even if you work for like, you know, I work for a company now that I couldn't believe more in the mission. I really couldn't. Yeah. And, the, and the opportunity it brings to like, you know, help people do great things together, you mm -hmm. know, all that being said, like, you know, when your kid's sick or anything like that happens, you just have instant perspective on what matters in life. Yeah. And that's what kids do for you. Like, it just brings vulnerability and perspective immediately. So to me, it's really helpful just to like, you know, zoom out of whatever at work seems so stressful, you know, mm -hmm. like I just think about is my family healthy, you know, and safe and happy. And if they are like, you know, everything else is just gravy. So where do you see yourself or Asana going over the next decade? 30, 50 years? What's yeah. that look like? So the space we're in, maybe we talk about that a little bit. So we're in this space we call, the, the, the market calls work management. And the way I think about it, but I think the way kind of everybody I talk to thinks about it is if you think about productivity and collaboration across companies up until 10 years ago, like for 20 years before that, that space was just a monopoly called Microsoft Office. And it was yep. great, by the way. I love, I mean, yeah. I'm lived in all the office products and all that. And for a lot of reasons that's changed over the last 10 years, some of its trends, some of its move to consumerization, blah, blah, blah. I think the biggest driver is the move to teamwork and collaboration at work versus sort of individual productivity. And the way almost all companies, or at least sort of non-laggard companies, you know, the, their backbones today is more a mix of best and breed and sweet. So generally kind of early adopter companies will have maybe a, a Google you know, Google G Suite and kind of the mainstream market will have a, an Office 365. And they'll use that usually for Gmail and or for email, you know, like Outlook and Calendar and maybe for, you know, creating documents. But from there, the usage drops off usually to best in breed because mm -hmm. a lot of best in breed companies are just sort of out innovated in, yeah. in those areas. Right. And generally, you'll see um, in most companies, you know, there's there's standard tools around things like around communication, around how your employees connect and communicate. Right. And even over the last eight years, that's gone from what's your cloud email thing, you know, to now what's your group chat thing and Slack's sort of dominated that. And it's still moving to like, what's your, like, who's going to finally make video conferencing work? Cause yeah. we've been trying for Gosh. decades and it's just been a nightmare <laughs> yep. and it looks like zoom, you know, we'll see here. Um, but all of those things are different ways your employees connect and communicate. Right. The other one that's pretty well established is how your employees create and share content and files, right? So there's the creation side, which is the 365 and Google Docs, but it's, you know, what you do with those files and the workflows, the DocuSigns, and mm -hmm. in the vertical space, it's all gone to co-creation. So in creatives, it's Adobe, the CAD guys, you know, and yeah. engineering and so forth. And then there's the how you share and manage files, right? And that's gone from this back office EMC thing to Box and Dropbox and Google and, and Microsoft responding. But that's all how you create and share files, mm -hmm. right? And content and documents at work. Despite that, in some ways, and on top of that, this other category that we're sort of pioneering and some other co companies are pioneering um, called work management has taken off. And it's really the it's the coordination piece that's missing, right? So if in the first bucket, if you have how you communicate, in the second bucket, you have how you create content, you know, this bucket around how you coordinate, how you orchestrate work across teams, you know, when you have a goal, a project, a plan, a process, steps between it, people that need to be coordinated across that, how do you do that? Yeah. You know, and 
that's this work management space. And really what's happened over the last few years is it's become, it's really taken off. There's been IPOs. We're growing super fast. We've, we've, we've let the market know publicly, at least um, the last metrics we released are each quarter in each of the last two years, we grew faster as we got bigger. So each quarter, the growth rate went up. That's how fast That's we're growing. And how it, at this scale, it is amazing. And Congrats. last year, we blew past 100 million in error last year doing That's that. Awesome. So, And it's still growing really, really fast. Yeah. So like the space has taken off. And the, the primary reason is this, this visceral problem around work about work. But another way to think about it that, that resonates with me is, um, and there's a lot of data out there in this, collaboration's growing exponentially in companies. And actually all these tools mm-hmm. that, you know, that I mentioned are helping. So there's more opportunities to communicate and collaborate and ping at work than ever before. That's also a problem, right? Yeah. So people at work feel like, you know, the ass on teams and people to get more done quicker, you know, with less mm-hmm. is growing. And at the same time, the amount of pings coming in yeah. is just growing exponentially. And if all these new tools helped you reduce your amount of time at email 10 or 20%, it's added another 50 or 100% on and, you know, in chats and SMS and pings and all this other stuff. And yet productivity is barely outpacing inflation. Yep. I was you know? just going to bring up yeah. the chart that I think you showed people of how collaboration has yeah. been going up and productivity has just been. It's just more linear, yeah. right? And that gap, the primary part of that gap or a huge part of that gap is clarity, is coordination, is clarity mm-hmm. of who's doing what, when, you know, clarity, yep. we, we talk about it as clarity of purpose, plan, and responsibility. And if you know what work matters and you know what work doesn't, an example is one of our largest customers is a big insurance company. And they talk about Asana as the gift of time and the value they get from it is um, they've reduced meetings an hour and a half a day per employee. Yeah. And if you think about particular medium-sized companies, large companies, you know, people spend hours every day in status meetings trying to figure out who's doing what. Mm-hmm. Imagine if most of that goes away and you can repurpose that time to what matters. I wonder if a lot yeah. of companies early on don't really think about actually tracking that because that was actually an aha moment for us was we hired a VP of ops, Albert, who's awesome. He came in and he started tracking how much time people were in Slack, pinging each other, where's this link at? Where's this? Is the episode out? Do you have the show notes? Do you have the prep doc? And he got an hourly amount and then was like, here's how much money it's costing everyone just to hang out in Slack and things get lost and people are asking the same questions. And when we moved all of our workflow over to Asana, it stopped. I mean, our Slack channel our cheese channel, our dog's channel, those stay very active, (laughs) but like the actual show channels, there's barely any of that anymore. And it feels like it's a whole different world now. And I think it's really hard to explain that to earlier companies anyways, who don't realize how beneficial that can be is like moving somewhere where everything's organized and reducing all the noise throughout the day, especially when you have a remote team where people are on different coasts, different time zones, limited time to talk to each other. Yeah, it's just very impactful. I, thank you for saying that. I couldn't have said that better. That, yeah. That's that's what we're trying to do, right? And it's not to say like, you mentioned Slack. Slack's a great tool. Yeah, you know what I mean? We, we use Slack internally. You know, Slack uses Asana. We're partners. Yeah. Most of our customers, most of our early customers, like the tech co- companies and the disruptors and the, you know, the Ubers and Airbnbs and all those guys, a lot of them say they run on the gas stack, which is Google, Slack, and Asana, you yeah. know, and it's, it's complimentary, but right. It's when you have a process, a project, a plan, you know, a goal, things with steps, and you need to coordinate people and keep them in sync. You can't do that with anything, but it's sort of a work management tool. And the, uh, the way to think about it today is um, 98, 99% of the world is doing this manually. There, yeah. There's no, it's not like we're replacing generations of this. No one's ever figured it out. In the old days, there was old project management tool like Gantt charts and, yeah. you know, resource maps, but they were, they were always for like a specialist, a PMO officer, or like mm-hmm. a special project manager. And what we hear today constantly from companies and customers is that what you're doing is democratizing this. And that's what we need because today, anyone that's a team lead 
needs to get more done with less and by definition is a project manager, but they don't yeah. have time for that crap. You know, yeah. they need to, they just need something that can make it really simple and easy and provide clarity to the team so they can go and execute. Yep. And yeah, that's, that's what the category is all about. It's why it's really taking off. And again, it's like, it's all greenfield, you know, it's like 98% just manual. And it also prevents a lot of surprises. I know yeah. before I would come in and be like, where's this show at? Where's yeah. this episode at? Oh, it's late. Why is it late? Yeah. And it's so nice now, uh, like the executives on our team, be able to go in and just look very high level at where's everything at, what's completed, what's not, why not? And just be able to ask the questions that before we were not able to even know existed. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know if people yeah. aren't putting it somewhere. Yeah. So you went to Ohio State, right? Yeah. What did you study there? Uh, mechanical engineering and economics. Okay. What made you choose that? Uh, so this is like the late 80s, I guess. And um, then you're like, there was this move with your your parents going, you know, before that it was like my older cousins, it was like, you got to be a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. And then it changed it. You got to be an engineer. So that's why I went. And, and the reality is I didn't like engineering very much and I was huh. an okay engineer. Um, but I got really lucky while I was an engineering student, I, I ran into and began and did an internship with an engineering software company, a CAD company. And this mm -hmm. was really when CAD, which is like computer aided design, how you design products digitally, yep. it was just moved from 2D to 3D. So it used to be like Autodesk and you would build electronic drawings. Mm -hmm. um, then it moved to 3D where you would build 3D virtual models of things, which kids can do today with Tinkercad and all this stuff. But then it was just the pioneering, you know, beginning of that. And I fell in love with tech, you know, and so I, I ended up co-oping and interning with a software company uh, and went and worked for that company right out of school and, you know, jumped into, into software immediately. And that's all I've ever done. What do you use from your engineering background today? Do you use any of those? Yeah, lessons? I mean, it, to me, it's really like it's really just a degree in problem solving and how to think about solving problems. And sure, that's super helpful all the time. You know, that, yeah. that's really the maybe the only but the it's a big one. You know, the big takeaway for me. Very cool. And are you a Buckeyes fan? I'm a huge Buckeye fan. Yeah. Yes, yes, Our team does sure. good research, apparently. <laughs> I love that you know that. Yeah. Yep. And then the other thing I wanted to ask, too, is when it comes to prioritizing time, I see you're on the board of a few things. What does your full scope look like and how do you prioritize your time? Um, well, first of all, I try. Yeah, good question. So I try to I try to manage the number of things I'm on the board of or advising. So I try to limit that to one or two, which mm -hmm. I do. I'm on the board of a, a really cool anti-phishing company right now and security company called area one that I, that's doing really amazing stuff for the broader question. Um, so I, I, I do as much as I, I love doing that stuff, but I can't do any more than that. Yeah. And then with three kids and everything, the way I, I manage my day and I, I got to say like Asana, the product helps a ton. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of it. Some of it is just because nothing falls through the cracks and those things that you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, like you even go to sleep, not stressed and you wake up going, Oh my God, did I forget yeah. about that thing? <laughs> yeah it's all there. It's all managed in the tools. So you can just let it go and yeah. you can, you know, constantly reprioritize. So, um, Asana has this thing that a few other companies have called no meeting Wednesday that I love oh, yeah. to death. Right. And that's, um, like no internal meetings largely, and we'll yeah. have some external stuff, but just to have even a half day of like real dedicated work and flow time mm -hmm. every week. Yeah. I haven't had that in two decades. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We're starting to try and set that up here yeah. because we noticed that meetings were just taking over yeah. just, so yeah, I think we're starting to block off Fridays now, which cool. is so nice to actually have yeah. like deep work. You're just having flow time, right? Prioritization yeah. helps that. Um, and having rituals or dedicated times to do that is, is helpful. Very cool. So to end the episode, we do a sometimes bet okay. the future. Okay. And we say in the next 10 years, plus or minus, and then why? So you can say true or false, 
and why. Okay. You ready? Sure. Asana patents AI robots to do our work for us. We have this thing. You can go check it out, actually. This was pretty bold. If you go to asana.com slash vision, mm-hmm. we did something a year and a half ago that was pretty bold. Where we actually shared a video of our vision, you know, with That's the market cool. of where we're yeah. going. Um, and actually, what's cool is we pretty much delivered on like already like two thirds of that. But where we're going longer term is, you know, so we're, we're enabling we're enabling clarity company wide. Right. So mm-hmm. clarity of who's doing what when company wide. As we do that, you know, really the mission for the company is to be more proactively. And this is where AI and machine learning comes in. And we're doing some little pieces of this, but we're not doing the whole thing yet. The real mission is to be a GPS for your business, right? So if you want to launch into a new market or, you know, define a new product or, or, you know, whatever, design a new process, deploy a new process. We have this thing we call the work graph, which is we understand the more, the more a company and the users in a company use our product, the more we understand about and learn about the relationships between those things, the more we can help you templatize and optimize that. So, you know, in the future, we see ourselves as a, a tool that can help you basically be GPS for your business. And you can say, this is my goal. Asana can help you understand how to get there. Here's the template. Here's the process. Here's the that's awesome. here's how much resourcing you'll need, that kind of thing. And that is that's certainly part of our long term vision. Asana acquires a competitor. Have you guys acquired any competitors? Um, not really. No, yeah. I don't know about acquires a competitor. Maybe. I mean, I, the our roadmap's been all organic. Means we build it all ourselves. Yeah. Um, we're certainly not against you know acquisitions and tuck-ins to help us get to our mission faster and accelerate our roadmap, but. Um, I don't know about that one. I, I, I'd say there's as good a chance we would as there's as good yeah. a chance we wouldn't. Next big tech trend in the next 10 years. I really think work management is going to transform mm-hmm. companies and digital transformation is a big deal in helping big companies, right? If you're a startup or a small new company or a disruptor, it's easy to, it's much easier to build a culture. And when you're building from scratch, it's easier. When you're a big established company, mm-hmm. it's so much harder to, to, to move and react and change, right? And so digital transformation is the way big companies think about that. You know, and most of the, the global SIs are doing all kinds of work to help executives in Fortune 500 understand how to, how to transform and how do we deal with innovation and all these disruptors? How do we, how do we react to Tesla and Google and Netflix and, mm-hmm. you know, Amazon and everybody? From there, it kind of went to, and this is this drove a lot of Google's G Suite and probably a lot of 365 and other tools um, sort of adoption. How do we just help on top of that employees and track millennials with modern tools that aren't like ancient? You know, so when they, you know, five, 10 years ago, even now in a lot of companies, you come in with your cell phone, which can do so many amazing things. You turn it off and log into your old enterprise software. Yeah. And it's literally like a time machine going back yep. in time, right? So a lot of the a lot of the things that's driven a lot of adoption today has been that. Where I think it's going next, and where I think um, tools like Asana play a really eminent role, is employees want to work, and executives want this, right? Employees want to work for companies with missions and purposes they believe in, but they actually want to know how their work connects up to that. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier with sort of, you know, like strategy and execution being yeah. disconnected, and the reason these OKR charts are only getting us so far as they're not connected to execution. So when you have clarity across the company, any employee can come in any day and say, you know, what's the most important for me, thing for me to work on today or now as it relates to my team and as it relates to my company and understand how my actual work rolls up to the goals and purpose of the company. And I think that's where digital transformation is going next. And I think that's where uh, Asana will play a really big role. All right. Last one. Thinking about the chart you mentioned earlier, collaboration and productivity. Productivity will catch up with collaboration or at least parallel it instead of just lagging. Uh, I think I think it's it's this 
having clarity of purpose and plan and responsibility will absolutely help close the gap. It is in companies that are deploying tools and strategies on that. And I absolutely think that'll help close the gap a bit. I'm excited about that future then. All right, Chris, it's been awesome having you here. Such a fun interview. And yeah, I hope you come back for round two in the future. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.